Well, hello, FC Dallas curious fans. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. I'm Buzz Carrick. Uh, both Peter and Dan are not with me today. I am, in fact, flying solo, so bear with me, and hopefully my voice holds up. Um, Peter is working, doing some things for the ticket, which involves early morning, so it's tough for him, and Dan is uh, out of town on a family event. So it's just me, and this is why we're doing this Q&A edition. Before I start the Q&A, let me remind you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. You can get 40% off site-wide for all Third Degree podcast listeners with the promo code third degree on soccer90.com. That's just the, like the name of the website, three R D D E G R E E dot. You don't need the dot just three third degree. Uh, hopefully you guys have took advantage of that. It's been great for them to support us over this holiday window. And uh, hopefully uh, you guys got yourself some good swag, make us look good. All right. As I mentioned, today is a Q and a edition of the podcast. I'm going to answer a whole bunch of questions that I got from my patrons. And then I got, I solicited questions on Twitter and uh, on Facebook and, and we got a lot of stuff to run through and I'm going to do my best to answer. Obviously the FC Dallas questions are in my wheelhouse, things that are a little out of that area. I'll do my best and you can take what I say as an opinion if you don't like it, <laughs> but uh, I think I got some good things to offer you. All right, let's get right into the questions. Uh, I'm going to start with the patron questions because, you know, they're the ones who support us on patreon.com slash third degree. You can always join us there too. If you like, we give some little extra content there for people to follow us, but mostly it's just, if you like what we do. All right. First question is from Sean. Uh, no last name. We saw Reynolds get stuck on the bench behind Reggie who was sold, but clearly Reynolds was ready to go when he got the opportunity. What other young players appear ready to go, but stuck behind a veteran? Well, Sean, I would have said Kyle Montgomery, but he's gone. So um, is Johnny Nelson a young player for you? Because Johnny is definitely stuck behind Ryan Hollingshead. Um, Johnny's a defensive first player, which is fine. And Lucci wants an attacking outside back. If you gave Nelson the job, you know, half a season in, I think he'd be fine as an attacking option. He's just not there yet. And right now, the way Ryan Hollingshead is playing – there's no way Johnny Nelson's getting in there ahead of him. You know, Ryan is also now 29 going on 30, I think. So, uh, you know, there's a chance down the line for Johnny to be a starter, I think. So he's the guy. Also, Tanner Tessman and to a certain extent, Brandon Cervania now are both stuck behind Brian Acosta when he's healthy. You know, Brian Acosta is a World Cup veteran. He's a DP player. He almost certainly is going to start for Lucci when he's healthy. So you could say that the, both those guys are now stuck behind Acosta. Uh, Pepe, not gonna, he's not stuck. He's not ready to start 32 games, so that's not stuck. And That's really basically my list. Um, Thomas Roberts is ready for some PT, but he's not ready for a starting run like Pepe isn't either. So Johnny Nelson, Tessman, Cervania. All right, Dan uh, Vesha asked, um, with Zobak and Philippe both being fairly good backups, in quotes, which one, if either, will be sent down to North Texas Soccer Club? Well, not Philippe. Um, He's too big of a buy, too big of a player to be doing that. Also, he's going to spend most of Brazil with most of Brazil, most of the year with Brazil in preparation for the Olympics, or a lot of the year, I should say. I don't think you'll see him in Dallas all that much. Maybe, maybe even as much as fifty percent of the time he'll be gone. Um, you know, could they send him down for some minutes? Like if he comes back, sure. Uh, 
but it's not going to be a thing where they're going to like invest playing time in him you know, in that sense of like getting a whole run. Uh, Zobak also, again, you know, if they really feel like he needs some minutes, maybe, but at 30, they're not going to invest in him either. So neither guy is going to go down and play like the season at North Texas. That's not, they might just get a little bit of minutes to get him fresh or something, or if they get injured, you know, come back from an injury. All right, Eric Tillish. Hopefully I got that right, Eric. Uh, has two questions. Number one, do you know, do you think there is a possible moves for Byron that makes sense for them to loan a player to FC Dallas? Uh, no, no, I don't. Um, guys in Byron's first team are worth too much money. Uh, the thing that makes sense to me uh, for them is if they have a player who graduates from their U23 team, but isn't good enough for Byron. I mean, think about how good Byron is and they probably crank out 20 guys a year out of their U23 team, 21 of which go nowhere. So if one of those guys is just barely not good enough for Byron, sending him to FC Dallas makes could make some sense. If you want to maybe try and put a little investment in him to sell him on later, that's the only way thing I think could happen. We'll have more on Byron later in this in this thing for sure. I know I got more questions about that. Question two: Is there any possible way to loan Hara like Pablo Arangis last year to clear him off the roster if another DP nine can be transferred in? Well, technically, uh, Eric, yes. Realistically, though, uh, that's probably a no. You know, these clubs in Mexico watch tape too, and they see what we see. So you know, who's going to take that guy on such a massive, massive salary? I mean, he's not Mexican. He's Argentine. So it's like there's not like that kind of pull. So basically, like in order for FCD to do such a deal, they're going to have to pay a significant portion of his contract, you know, maybe half, maybe even most of it. So you're basically giving him away for free just to get rid of him. I don't see that really as a viable. Uh, the best option is the limitedly used DP buyout. The Hunts could spend their own money to buy out Hara's contract. But the Hunts being the Hunts, uh, I'm pretty sure Hara's going to be here for 2021 and 2022. All right, Fritz, Fritz Junkers uh, asked, best case and most likely scenarios for the new FCD away kits. Best case scenario is a solid non-white kit uh hopefully with mismatched shorts so you're you're looking at you know not not going to be red or not going to be navy blue because those are the two primaries for the the first team kit it'll be a i'm hoping it'll be a solid kit this is the best case scenario solid kit non-dark that's gonna leave a lot of options but there are some options for me the best answer would be a white and color hoops but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think FCD will always keep one jersey non-hoop because there's people that don't like hoops. You know, it's fine. So best case scenario, solid, non-white. That's best case. Okay, uh, Tim Langston asks, are we seeing a potential pipeline partnership between FCD and Juventus? Or is it the beginnings of an FCD Academy world recognition? Well, you're not seeing an FCD to UV pipeline specifically. Just it's just a worldwide love of talent. Look, talent is talent. Um, what the U.S. has that European teams sometimes don't, and FCDs like Dallas has, is they don't have guys that are six three amazing athletes with pace and power. This is why they buy Alfonso Davies. You know, this is Reynolds. This is Chris Richards. It's probably Tessman and Dante Sealy. These are the guys that are going to be coveted, and that the European teams are going to want. It's nothing to do with a relationship between FCD and Juventus. It's just recognition of talent. 
definitely true that around the world, people are recognizing MLS and America in general and FCD specifically. That's for sure true. All right, Trent Dismook. Do I have that right, Trent? I've never, some of these names I've seen a million times, I've never pronounced them. Dismooky, Dismook. All right, North Texas Soccer Club has brought in some foreign players the past two years with the pandemic still going strong. Do you think they will bring in players for 2021? Yes, absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Um, bringing in foreign kids age 18 to 22 to take a shot at them is part of the FC Dallas North Texas Soccer Club mojo. Uh, these are kids that somebody else didn't want at 18, but that Dallas is, thinks is worth a flyer that they could be good enough for MLS or maybe USL or for another country or something. You know, so these are guys that are that they think maybe are diamonds in the rough. Uh, North Texas Soccer Club is a pretty cheap situation. They have apartments and they have two houses. They can put these kids in if they're young. Um, there's going to be three or four new ones. They already got one, Hope Codezo. There's going to be more, you know, three or four, maybe even five. They need a lot of bodies this year. Okay, John Garcia, any news on a primary sponsorship? I'm sure COVID threw a wrench in the sponsorship plans. Uh, no, I doubt, don't think it would have, actually. I'm sure that whatever sponsorship deal they had wrapped up was wrapped up a year ago, effectively. Um, kit design is a 15-month or more cycle. You know, like, for example, like right now, the kit for 2022 has been approved. Not the one for 2021, the one that you're going to see in a month. I mean, the one for the new home jersey for 2022 has been approved. They started working on it middle of this year, if that makes sense to you, 15 months. So I imagine that whatever sponsorship deal was in place has been in place. So... Uh, yes, we here at third degree have pooling our information. We think it's going to be NEC who is the big sponsor of the, um, a hall of fame, you know, there in the South end zone. Don't, don't rule out Toyota, of course, uh, or any of the big club sponsorships that are, you know, already primary sponsors. We all think we here think it's more likely to be a current sponsor elevating and NEC is our favorite based on some stuff. It's hard to really explain, you know, what all led us to that opinion, but, uh, it's a consensus here from third degree. All right. Luke Hoke asked a rambling long winded question about players playing out of, I'm going to paraphrase Luke, sorry, players playing out of position, uh, rather than their intended position. Um, does do, do people watching, do they take this into account? Does it, do you value a player? Uh, the example he uses is Weston McKinney um, and people count scouting Pepe. You know, are they going to be worried that these guys are used out of position? Um, and one example might be, what if Weston would have signed hypothetically, he says, for FC Dallas for a year and then later been asked to play left back or something? Would that have greatly derailed a career opportunity? Well, uh, yeah, it does hurt, actually, in my opinion, if you do it too much. Um, if you're just getting a guy some minutes, which is what happens when Pepe's at wing, for example, that's fine. You know, it's okay. If you, if you do it a lot, then when you see what I think you saw with Jesus last season, 2020 season, this season just passed where he starts to lose his way a little bit because he's, where are you playing me? What am I doing? Where's my future? The one caveat to this situation is that this, the full complete position change, like Brian Reynolds to right back. That really only happens if the club feels a player has stalled a little bit in their progression or a lot in their progression. A guy that was a really quality player that has a whole bunch of attributes you like, all of a sudden 
as a 10 or a 9 or a winger, all of a sudden he's not quite working like you want. And you see something in his game that says, oh, I can use him something else, where else. Like Brian Reynolds was a right wing, and they realized that when he comes from deep and gets ahead of steam run at people, he's almost impossible to stop. That was sort of his bellwether moment. Edwin Surreal was a wing at one point and then moved into the U19 team and they made him a six and he came to life as a six. You know, it's just sort of, he was not really working as a wing. Jonathan Gomez was a wing and was just kind of an average wing. And they took his talent set and they turned him into a left back and he's an exceptional left back. You know, so you're only going to see those little, little, little now and then for a change is fine. You don't see a big full change unless it's someone who's not uh, progressing. Now, something like Jesus, way out of position all the time. That's a Lucci trust thing. I really wish he wouldn't do it as much because I do agree with you that it hurts um, their standing. I still don't think it hurt, hurts Jesus. All right. Fabian Mejia. Mejia, perhaps. Uh, if the MLS and League MLX ever merged, do you feel that would answer most of FC Dallas attendance issues? Are you in favor of the merger? I feel like it would be awesome to watch. I struggle watching MLS matches unless FCD is playing. Not sure what your thoughts are. Okay, no, it would not solve any clubs, let alone Dallas's individual attendance problems. Um, yes, I am in favor of it because this is the kind of deal that could elevate our league. Now, combine MLS, League MX to like a world-class league because, and this is the key, and this is why I think it will happen, this is an ownership level deal where guys are investing millions of dollars into these clubs, 300 million, 500 million. They see a way to empower their teams and enrich their teams. Big money, big TV, big marketing, big media, huge, massive amount of people in Mexico and the United States and Canada. You're talking, you basically are creating a North American super league. It's the same reason that, uh, in Europe, the, the big teams want to form a breakaway league. You know, I mean, are they ever going to be able to pull it off? I, I don't know. The game's so ingrained there. It's what makes the Champions League so huge, and all those big clubs want so badly to be in their own league together. You know, it's that idea that uh, you can really elevate your play. So for a North American league, you can take League MX and MLS and Canada to a certain extent from being like a mid-tier thing to maybe a top-tier thing because the money could get crazy. The audience could get crazy. The TV could get crazy. That's why it's going to happen. And that's why I think it's a good idea that it happens if you want to make the United States have pro soccer at the highest level possible. I think it's important. All right. Rafael Mantana says, have you been to a World Cup? Have you been to games abroad? What is your dream trip game? I have been to the World Cup, uh, Rafael. Um, I went to three games at the Cotton Bowl in 1994. Uh, I had just graduated from college. I went to the 3-2 Germany-South Korea game, which was a great German comeback. And then for the Argentina-Bulgaria game, I sat in the section next to the Argentine fans who were just absolutely crazy. And I actually have a picture of uh, Bulgaria scoring a, on a header at the other end of the field. It's really hard to tell what it is. I think it's actually a Storchkov goal. I'm not sure. It's a header goal. And I have the picture right as the guy heads it on my little bitty camera from hundred yards away across the end of the field. And then in the round of 16, I went to Saudi Arabia versus Sweden, which is a three, one uh, Sweden win. And then in 1998, I went to France with my dad um, to go to all three us games. And we tramped around Europe a bunch between games. So we went to the two, nothing Germany loss. And then the two, one loss to Iran, which by the way, is one of the craziest 
moments of my life, uh, they had the streets barricaded off for like a mile in every direction around the stadium. You had to walk in a mile. And there were snipers on top of the light towers. And it was just, it, what a surreal moment in my life that was. And then the third game, 0-1 Yugoslavia, when uh, Sam's Army was famously singing Kesara Sara, we're going home in three. That, that was a fun moment, even though we got smoked. So I had this plan at the time to go to every World Cup uh, from then on. And unfortunately, two months before the 2002 World Cup, I changed jobs uh, and was unable to go. I had to sell my tickets and cancel my trip. So I have not been to one since, unfortunately, which is a bummer for me. Oh, uh, Dream Trip. Uh, I'm a Newcastle fan um, outside of uh, FC Dallas. So I would love to go to some games at St. James Park. That's my dream trip. You know, and it, just in general, going to England and, and even like trampsing around some lower level stuff. I mean, that would be fun. That's my ideal of a dream vacation. All right, Greg Carmichael. My question is, with the growth of the league and some of the big money that has come in, do you realistically think SC Dallas can win the Cup in the next 10 years? I see a model where SD spins, but on the frugal side, frequently miss where they do spend, make the playoffs, but at a low level and can't compete with the big dogs. Any reason to think a change is likely that would make us front runner for the Cup? Uh, Greg, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, realistically, yes, the, the FC Dallas could be in condition for a comp, and I'll tell you why they could be and then why they won't be. One, number one is all it takes is for the Hunts to raise their game just a little bit because the academy model and the homegrown fill-in allows you to have a better roster than most people year after year after year because the quality fill-in from the academy balances out some of the gaps that other teams that don't have academies have because you're not relying on the draft. So other teams sign foreign players, but Dallas has foreign players and the academy. So all you need is a little bit more raise of the level on the DP spin. Now, how likely is that? I mean, listen, Greg, you know, as well as I do, the hunts are going to hunt, right? I mean, this is what they do. They bargain spin. They look for bargains. They look for hits. You know, the, the Reynolds sale is going to be a big test. We'll see what they do with this money. This is a big question because you're right. The top of the league is extending away from FC Dallas in terms of the money spend. This is going to be the next 10 years for Dallas are going to be fascinating. See what they do. Certainly the next year will be interesting. <laughs> All right. Reagan Rector. Forgive me if my voice starts to go in the middle of this. There's a lot uh, talking here. Any thoughts on the early Vegas lines for MLS Cup that had FCD as a favorite? Not sure if this was legit, but would you like your thoughts on what would constitute successful 2021? Okay, um, first thing to understand about Vegas lines is that Vegas lines exist only to balance out the betting, to balance out the money. So whatever line is set is 100% a reaction to where people are betting. People are putting their money. So somebody thinks that FC Dallas has a shot next year and is putting some money down. Now, the odds makers put the number out there beginning with, but they're pretty good at predicting like where people are going to put their money. This is what they do. So uh, I do expect that as we get closer to this season that FC Dallas's odds will drop because I think some of this is the early money coming in because of things like Reynolds being sold and the money coming back in and all the reports of Dallas is going to sign that guy, going to sign this guy. I think some of this is an early overreaction with money being bet on FC Dallas. I think it'll lengthen. Um, successful 2021, uh, winning, you know, further in the playoffs, you know, higher in the standings, get to third, fourth, third, get a little more home field, 
you know, advance. That's, that's the progress. That's the progression. If they don't do that, then I will consider it a non-successful season. It'll be a step back. Let me put it that way. Justin Bittner says, how much longer do you think SD will be able to enjoy the lead they built up in terms of the Academy pipeline? It seems like other clubs have similar levels of talent coming in, Philly, Seattle, New York, LA, and could ultimately surpass FCD at some point. Do you think that's concerning for FCD long-term since that's really the only area the Hunts have invested? Well, no, not really, actually, because these things kind of things have momentum, and FC Dallas has a head start in that sense. Um, they recruit internationally. They've got micro-academies other places. They go out and find guys and bring them into their academy. They recruit domestically outside of uh, Dallas. They have a reputation for developing, not only just having players pass to the first team and play, but also get better while they're here, pass to the first team play, and then be sold. That's the key is the willingness to be sold gives them a head start in terms of getting guys for the academy. And also, this is the thing that really gives them the advantage. Dallas is a talent hotbed. Even if you didn't do all those other things, there is bags and bags of talent here on its own. Like, look at the Dallas Texans and go look up the alumni from that club prior to FC Dallas. You're Daniel Hernandez, your Omar Gonzalez, Ramon Nunez. There's a pipeline of talent in Dallas and so FC Dallas will always have that local advantage. Matter of fact, the other clubs in MLS that don't have a hotbed, it's not just Dallas, but there, there's other clubs that do too. LA, obviously, the fertile ground of California. The clubs that don't have those hotbeds bitch and complain to the league all the time. It's one of the reasons why people like RSL were allowed to have an Arizona academy and things like that. You know, it's other teams that don't have these Dallas talent levels think that they're at a disadvantage. And that's on some level, that's true. Now you got to go out and work it, but that talent's always going to be in Dallas. Uh, even Houston doesn't have that talent base that Dallas has. I mean, Houston's never produced like North Texas has. All right, Rex Darwin wants to know what will preseason coverage look like in this pandemic? Well, honestly, uh, Rex, that's going to depend on MLS and FC Dallas protocols. You know, it's likely that it's going to look exactly like this season looked. Zoom calls, you know, doing what we do the best that we can. Uh, if, if something happens in terms of allowing me to go to training, if it means me getting a vaccine, if it means me something like that, uh, if they loosen some protocols in some other way, then absolutely I'll go back to training. You know, I'll, I'll go on the preseason trips. If I can pull them off, you know, driving my car, like I've done in the past, go cheap. You know, all those things are possible. It's a hundred percent on MLS and FC Dallas and their protocols and what they allow. I'm hoping that, uh, a vaccine will get me access, you know, we'll see. All right, Eric, uh, Pippolis, Eric, I've actually never, this is another one of your names. I've seen a million times. I've never heard pronounced Pippolis. Hopefully that's right, man. Uh, what would be the holdup on a Danino signing? Uh, is it just the holidays or was that really just a mirage? Um, I I'm pretty sure I'm very confident that S.A. Dallas is going to sign somebody that, um, the window is not open and that they, they're counting on the Reynolds money to be used to sign a DP. The two guys they signed are not DPs. They're Tam Gam signings. So they have an open DP spot. So holidays is a little slow down. Now, is it Deneno? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I've only gotten the one nibble on Deneno. 
here, which is one more than I've gotten on anybody else other than the two guys they've announced. So it's, you know, honestly, I have no idea if it's going to be Deneno or not. I really can't tell you. Uh, FC Dallas has done a really good job the last several years of keeping those things on lockdown. Um, and I, I honestly don't know if it's Deneno or not. Uh, Deneno for me fits because I think they could use a nine, a high nine, which he is. And I'm 100% convinced that they're going to sign a DP with the Reynolds money. How big a DP and how much money, that's a good question. You know, they uh, Don Garber said something about $33 million wouldn't be enough to reduce every team's losses. I think Dallas is more frugal than most. They probably lost less money than most. You know, the $10 million, whatever it's going to be for Reynolds is going to go a long way to eat up that loss. So maybe they're not going to spend what they might have been willing to spend before. But I think they're going to sign another DP. I think they won't sit without one. You know, sometimes in the past, they've had like six or seven guys that were above the DP threshold and they just bought them all down because they just barely get by guys over the DP threshold. So I'm expecting one more signing. All right, patron Niedemeyer uh, says, are you an Animal House fan, Niedemeyer? Um, He has a couple of questions. Oh my goodness, Niedemeyer. Okay, Uh, well, this one's fascinating in light of today. Uh, when, as of recording this, the night of the Reynolds stuff. Okay, how do you balance being objective and critical of SCD on the one hand with needing to maintain access to the club? Uh, well, uh, to be brutal about it, the answer is by being professional and accurate. This is why I said it's interesting given the Reynolds stuff today. Um, you know, if, if what you say is true, it's hard for them to really do anything or, or, or say anything. You know, the leagues have media standards. If you adhere to the media standards and don't break the rules, like one example would be this year they banned all media from the compound completely, not the field, not the training field, like the whole complex. So we couldn't even go up there for any reason at all, basically. So we didn't risk that. We didn't risk them giving someone an excuse, you know, if they had a problem with us for some reason. Like, I don't know that they have a problem with us specifically, from game to game, from time to time. Occasionally, they for sure don't like stuff we do. PR frequently can't stand what we do because they don't like it when we break news. Um, you know, But that's always been true of the PR people. Um, but one thing that's really important is that watching training matters. Being up there and seeing what's happening. Like if you're going to talk smack about who played or why a club does something or, or register your opinion, I shouldn't say smack, register your opinion about who's ready or who's not or why they played this way or why they didn't. If you're not watching training, you're just blattering. You have to watch what they're doing. You have to talk to coaches and you have to watch how players are progressing. And I'll tell you that every single coach that has ever been the head coach of FC Dallas and all the assistants too, they've always respected what I do because I go to training. I've had numerous of men of them mentioned to me flat out. I don't always agree with you, but you come up here and you watch and you get credit for that which is why it's so bad for me personally that I can't go up there right now because it makes it what I do much more difficult. And in the end, that's the bottom line is if you act like a professional and behave like a professional, they do have media access rules in this league and we are granted that access as part of the media. All right, second question from Niedemeyer. For some time, I've been hearing the 03 age group was the first to truly benefit from the Development Academy system start to finish, meaning that they all went from U12 or so with more training, 11 months a year, et cetera. Are we seeing or hearing anything about the O3 and younger grade groups that give credibility to this idea? Have they benefited? Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, massively. I would 100% agree with that. Um, there has been talent before 
from the academy. But look at this 03 group. You know, before you might have had one guy, maybe. But this 03 group is Ricardo Pepe, Dante Seeley, Justin Che, Jonathan Gomez, who is now at Lou City and will probably go to Europe at 18, Diego Latave, who's now at Tigres U20. And that's just the guys that we know about. There's still guys in college that have a shot. So there's no question that this 2000 group, 2003 group is like the first bubble group. Now, weirdly, 2004 is kind of across the Metroplex is thin. Uh, it's not, it's definitely thin for FC Dallas. Right now, Antonio Carrera, who's the keeper, um, and Nico Carrera's younger brother, I think he has the best shot. Uh, but he may be later because he's not, you know, it's a keeper. Those guys are later sometimes. So he may be down the road a few years. Uh, so it may not be in that there are no 2004s, but which is weird. But 2005 and 2006 are just ridiculous. Those guys are even better than 2003s. And I just listed five guys that are on the pro pathway from the 2003s. And it could be more. The 05s and 06s are, I'm expecting an even bigger, I call it a homegrown bubble because those two groups are ridiculous and they're getting better. They brought in, a, like one of those teams brought in a guy from Solar this year. You know, every year they add people. I mean, the talent was ridiculous. And and have being in the system and practicing the same methodology in the same way and the same system and the same skill sets from, you know, the basically beginning of the academy level through to now, huge advantage huge advantage for those kids. It's the difference between kids that can walk into the pro game ready versus kids coming out of college, not ready. Massive. Uh, And then I, I got another question from Nina wire that I actually got from somebody else too. And so I'm going to combine them and answer Jeff T's question because it's the same question. You've addressed some individual things you like and dislike about Lucci, but I'd like to hear your overall assessment of where he stands. What criteria do you use to evaluate him for, for him long-term is it just wins and losses? And that's basically what Niedemeyer asked was, what does Lucci need to do to keep his job? Or is he safe? Uh, okay, this is um, big picture. It's important to remember, and I think he's in very good shape. It's important to remember that Lucci is a product of two men as coaches. His number one influences are Oscar Pereja and Shellis Heinemann. Lucci is literally the byproduct of the guys who the hunts trust the most. They built the system, the Academy on when Celis was coach, Oscar built it. The Hyman has been friends of uh, the hunts for 30 years. They played for him. Lucci played for him. Lucci cites Perea who gave him his job in the Academy. I mean, he is, he is FC Dallas Lucci. So he's as safe as you could possibly be. Honestly, as long as he keeps making the playoffs, I think that he's basically safe forever. It, winning an MLS Cup, remember for the Hunts, it, this is, they don't say this, but I think their behavior indicates this. To them, their behavior says winning an MLS Cup is a bonus. It's not the requirement. They care about the Lamar Hunt legacy. Look at the Hall of Fame. They care about the franchise stability and the survival of the franchise and Lamar Hunt's legacy over everything. Lamar Hunt, U.S. Open Cup. Lamar Hunt in the Soccer Hall of Fame. Soccer Hall of Fame here. This is their last MLS team. They've gotten rid of the other two. Well, they got rid of all three they had originally. The survival of this team 
and the, and their system, what they believe in now, is everything. So keep making the playoffs. Keep the academy line flowing. The one way they make money, the youth, the selling of the players, so far make money. Keep that going and you're fine. That's what I think it is. It's simple. All right, now I'm going to lump a group of questions together because they're all basically about the same thing. Reagan Rector asked, if there's one thing you could do in the market to, pr- to produce fans in the stands in the community, what would it be? Andres Soto asked, in a hypothetical scenario, the Hunts gave you $10 million over two years to improve the fan base. What would you do? Alex Avendano said, will FC Dallas ever get consistent sellouts? Michael Mortensen said, uh, what has FC done, Dallas done wrong trying to bring fans to Fisco? And if you're charged, what would you do differently? And Cisco asked, uh, it's pretty clear that Austin FC Dallas is going to blow FC Dallas and Houston out of the water. Um, if you were the owner, what would you do to compete? And specifically, Austin was that they're focusing on the Hispanic audience, something we, Dallas has not done well. And he actually mentions Janet Sanchez, which is important. I'll give that to the second. How do you bring back the Hispanic audience? So I'm going to lump all that in together because I think it's all one connected answer. And the first thing that I would do if they gave me money and I was in charge was I would spend a couple million dollars, maybe even half that 10 million possibly, to do a supreme, in-depth, legit, 100% deep dive into what the Metroplex soccer market is. This would be a massive, massive undertaking and it would cost a lot of money. The Hunts have never done anything like this as far as I know. And listen, we talk to people in these neck of the woods about these kinds of things. And I don't know them doing this at all. You guys have all done season ticket surveys. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a big time million dollar dive into what the Dallas soccer market is, not their fan base, not their ticket buyers, the whole market, the whole audience, find out what it really is made of, find out what it really cares about, and then adapt your strategy. Right now, their strategy is going off of what they think is right rather than finding out what is actually right and basing your strategy off that. Beyond that, I don't have any specific answers other than I would treat the Spanish audience seriously. Um, This could be simple, like on the digital side, make sure the entire website is available in English and Spanish across the board. Twitter accounts, social media, everything. Double up everything. Redundancy. The amount of money you'd spend on that, relatively speaking, would be little. And it would go a long way just having that personality, you know, that, that multiple things. Now that's not just enough because, uh, cultures are different. And you mentioned Janet Sanchez, who hasn't been replaced as a Spanish reporter. That's big. I would hire an on-air type talent, a young one, two of them, actually one English and one Spanish men, women, doesn't matter. One speaking English, one speaking Spanish bilingual would be fine, but I still want somebody that's Spanish only. Uh, and make original content in both languages because there are cultural differences. There's stuff that's important to the Spanish market that's not important to the English market and vice versa. How you report to them, how you cover the game is different for those languages. And again, on top of that, I would advertise, and again, without a marketing study to know what you're doing, you know how do you spend money? But I would advertise in both languages and I would try and get into the markets where people like soccer. Um, how you do that is hard. It's not easy. That's why people get paid a lot of money to do these things. I don't, I don't have all the answers, but you know, I think a real marketing study to find out where your audience really is and what they really want. And then trying to meet some of those things and treat Spanish seriously, give it a hundred percent attention, just like you give the English. I think that would go a long way. 
All right, Hans and uh, Dad and Barefeet both sort of asked a similar kind of question about the force majeure that MLS just implemented uh, with the MLS Players Union and what it means. Well, on a big picture macro level, what it means is, is they're going to go back to the table and renegotiate the CBA. You know, uh, Garber talked about the MLS losing a million dollars. It's important to understand that probably some Soccer United marketing who is interwoven with MLS in a symbiotic weird way is probably hosed this year too because those teams can't come so there's a big revenue loss there so you know i don't doubt that they're down a whole crap ton of money um so mls is going to want some of that money back they're going to try and push back on this contract and try and get some things back that they gave up so it could get contentious i imagine that they don't want crazy things i imagine they're just going to want like a you know a percentage rollback of salary you know, they MLS had to lay off like 20% of their staff. So, you know, are they going to want 20%? Are they going to want 10%? I have no idea. Probably just across the board rollback. And maybe rollback on some things that the players wanted that, that cost money, like charter flights. Those could be toast. I mean, those are really expensive. And MLS could say, you know, we'll give them to you in three years rather than now. I, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but it means that they're going to go back to the bargaining table and it means that they're going to start, not start over. I think there's going to be like four or five things the league's going to go, this is what we want. You know, they'll ask for more than they think they're going to eventually get. It'll take some time. They might give up. The league might say, we'll, let, we'll start later in the year. If you give us X, Y, Z, you know, maybe we'll go a shortened year again. We'll cut some games out this year. Again, maybe, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm ad-libbing now. Bottom line is they're going to renegotiate. Okay, Geraldo Cifuentes. Cifuentes? Have you ever wondered if FD Dallas uses your ideas in games? Uh, yes, actually. <laughs> Once or twice I have wondered that. Um, I, don't, I don't really think that, though, obviously. You know, the people that run professional soccer teams are pretty smart soccer people. You know, they, they don't get to that level by accident. They work their whole life to get to that level. So I'm quite sure that they come up with ideas simultaneously. You know, I mean, a lot of my ideas come from talking to them. You know, talking about concepts, talking about, ideas what they're doing and sometimes i could watch a game and think about what they said about the game i'm like oh i wonder if that means they're going to try this or that or the other thing you know and and they come up with the same idea so i don't really think they use my ideas but there have been once or twice where something i said happened was should happen did happen i thought oh i wonder if they got that for me i mean not really you know what i mean that's flattering thought but probably not probably not really oh i do know the front office has borrowed my stuff though like hoops is pretty much my fault not the name the hoops jerseys. Peter will tell you, I, I wrote an article about how they should use hoops a couple of years before they did it. And I, I'm pretty sure that they borrowed that from me, but that's okay. Cause I like the hoops. Okay. Uh, Jordan Hoffnagel had a bunch of questions. Let's see. Um, seeing as the roster as it is with your choice of one additional player added per the rumors, what formation would you as a coach, not Lucha, you play the team in and why? All right. Well, uh, to, to follow up on rumors, I bought, would buy a nine. I would buy DP buyout Frank O'Hara, and I would sell Brian Acosta. I think Brian Acosta has value. You can sell him to somebody, but and the reason I'm willing to sell him is because they don't need him. They have plenty of guys that can play that spot. So I play a four-three-three, and I use Paxson and Ricarte as dual eights with Tanner and Cervania behind them and Roberts. You know that works for me. I don't need Acosta. Get rid of horror and bring in a nine. That's what I'd do. I like a 4-3-3 in the modern system. 
You get multiple versions of it, either the 4-3-3 base or 4-2-3-1. It's the same formation. It's just a flip midfield. All right, Jordan also asks, if, if and when Tessman gets the U.S. men's national team camp next year, what position in Barholder system do you think he would fit and what are the chances of getting him to play there? And what do you think the best position is for him to get playing time? It's the same answer to those two things or three things. And it's Weston McKinney's holding, uh, linking eight position. Not the Adam six, the linking eight of Weston. So I think there's a chance Tanner could be in the mix at that spot. I don't think he's there for the senior team yet. But if the Olympics team is going to use the same system, which they should, uh, I think there's a really good chance Tanner might be your starter uh, for the Olympics, you know, or at least way up in the Olympics team squad. He is just 19, so that's kind of young. So maybe, I mean, he would have been the starter for the U20s if, if the U20 World Cup hadn't gotten canceled. But I think Tesman's got a good shot at the Olympic team right now as the McKinney linking eight. That's his spot. He's basically passed up Brandon Cervania for that spot with FC Dallas and the U.S., so, which is why Sabrina is probably looking at Puerto Rico. All right, last question from Jordan. Uh, does Jimmy Maurer deserve a U.S. Men's National Team call-up? No, he's too old. Okay, Holden Grant uh, also had a couple of questions. Since there is now such a large gap in the homegrown pool, can we expect to see more signings like we've seen recently? I know you've talked about it before, the gap that is. How much is it going to affect the organization goal of being a selling team? Can we see them go after young talent like Felipe and grin them to sell? Well, it's not it's not a massive gap. It's about a year or a year and a half uh, bridging the 2004 gap. Th- that's that's the gap. So uh, the 2003s are all gone already. You know, which means the U19s are basically gutted. Most of the U17, half the U17s is gutted already because the 04s are not really there. So. Um, Che was the last 03, basically. And so you're not going to see another teenager to the 05s. But that doesn't mean there won't be any homegrowns because they have college-age homegrowns. So there's one or two guys in there over the next two years that I think could pan out, possibly two. We'll see how that goes still. That's your Jordan Cano-type signings of the past. You know, that kind of guy. Um, There's a guy I'll talk about in a minute who I think could fit that bill this year. You know, Brandon Cervania was a college guy. Reggie Cannon was a college guy. I mean, legit talent there. College guys, possible still. So Philippe, yes, foreign player signing to then move on. Yeah, absolutely. Philippe is a, a, a Zanata special in the sense that he knew a value and arranged a buy number. Can you get him into the Brazil and then sell him on? That's what that's about. That's that's exactly the kind of thing I think Dallas will try to do, replicating the the, the academy system. Now, they've tried to do that in the past. Pablo Rangi's really young. Mascara was fairly young. Fabio Castillo was 18. You can see that it doesn't always hit. You buy young with upside and see if it pays off. Most oftentimes, it doesn't pay off, so far anyway. You know, one of the reasons why they have Zanata is because of they want somebody they hope is going to pay that off more. We'll see. So, yes, you're seeing, you're seeing more veteran signings. I think that's important. But I think you're still going to see this and maybe you're going to see it more with North Texas, really, like Hope Kodzo, right? It's the equivalent of that. Foreign kids, 18 to 22. You know, that's that's the same vein. Felipe, I think you'll see a couple of those guys. Not a lot, but a couple. I think that's an answer in there somewhere for you, Holden. Uh, I'm going to combine uh, Holden's other question with a question also from Ishmael Belkura. Uh, Ishmael said, can 
uh, Corcoran become a starter at NTXSC, North Texas Soccer Club, this season. He, Ishmael, says Allison won't be a starter, and Cirillo definitely won't want to be stuck at North Texas again. Uh, and then this this will lead me in a second to another question from Holden. So um, Corcoran, who I'll get to again, is not a starter yet. He has to realize that he's still 14 years old. He's still a U15. He's training with the 17s now, but he won't move to the U17s until this summer full-time, I don't think. I mean, he might come up and play a little bit. But uh, you're looking at, for him, a North Texas debut, I believe, later this year, the second half of this year, and probably not progression to a starter until 2022, I don't think, with North Texas. So I actually think Allison will be your starter this year. Because I agree with you, Evan Cirillo will not want to come down again. So I think Ellison is mostly your starter with maybe a Cirillo and maybe late in the year some Corcoran. All right, following along with that, Holden's other question was, are there any kids in the academy the fans should be excited about? Uh, and then Ross Green also asked the same question. The next homegrown prospects, they all those questions all kind of lumped together. Um Ross actually asked when is the next prospect. Well, when is the problem? Uh, as I said, there's a little bit of a gap coming. The next really exciting guys are in the bottom first year of the U17s, or there's the two, the one guy, two guys that are currently still U15. And I have some other ideas about this that we'll explore later, but not in this podcast. Some stuff I'm going to write about over the next month. Uh, but the six guys I read about recently, Matthew Corcoran, who I just talked about, who's a holding mid, Diego Hernandez, who's a U-17. He was the first 2005 to play with North Texas SE. He played one minute, but he trained with them last year. And Jordan Jones also trained with them, but did not play. Jordan Jones is interesting because he's the first 2005 to make a U-17 camp. He's a big, strong, athletic, linking mid, like Tanner Tessman, if that helps. So those guys are probably... Not this summer. They're probably next winter, maybe, or the summer after that. Uh, Antonio Carrera, I've talked about a lot. Win on him is just whenever they decide he's a pro. It could be in a year. It could be in four years. It could be never. I think he's a pro. If they don't get it done when he turns 18, I think he'll be gone. So he's got about a year before them to decide. But it could be many years before he actually were to play for FC Dallas anyway, you know, because 18-year-old keepers are, oh. The other guys are Antonio Ramirez, who's also U17, but I've I talked about him. He's the one to pure 10, which is a system fit problem. He's also one of the youngest guys in that class. His birthday's in December, so very likely that he almost really is a 2006 instead of a 2005 because of his age, how young he is. So he might be later down the line even further like 2023 maybe along with Julian Eyestone, who's the six foot five 14 year old goalkeeper. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, those guys are the ones that are like the, the protect your investment home. Those are your Paxton's your Jesus is your not Tanner. Cause he didn't sign until he was 19, eight, 18 out of the Academy. But those are the guys that are most likely for teenagers. But again, they're, they're all a year off probably maybe two years off. That's the gap. That's the Oh four gap. I was talking about. Uh, our Holden Grant has another question. If the homegrowns do start to make a decent amount of money, I think I read that wrong. If HSG does start to make a decent amount of money off a of young talent selling them, 
Can we see an uptick in spending and more buying power from SCD? Yeah, actually, I believe so. Reynolds is a good bellwether test of this. The Reynolds sale, if it does hit the $10 million, roughly, that's going to be sale price. There's going to be some incentives there. You know, how these things are. They always have clauses that the, the price could rise, whatever. Uh, if they invest that money back and buy somebody, it won't be the whole amount. But if they buy somebody for half that amount or whatever, that'll be a good test to tell you whether they are going to actually follow through and invest that money back. I think they will. I think they'll invest it in a player in a DP. It'll be the first time Dallas, I think, will buy a DP that costs, you know, four or five million dollars. I think I think that's their push up. They've done two before, right? I mean, it wasn't uh, uh, Costa. Costa was two, I think, right? And wasn't to Coleman two. I think they'll push more towards a four or five with this uh, Reynolds money. We'll see. If they don't, that'll be very telling. Okay. Uh, another double question. Holden asked questions everybody else asked. So Holden Grant again and Alex Avendano both asked about an NWSL team in the Metroplex or WPSL for FCD. Um, same question. Has there been any movement? Holden asked. No, actually there hasn't, Holden. Um, this is a more of a Dan Crook topic, but um, if I have things right, FC Dallas's women's team, their, their former WPSL team, um, or whatever it was, NWSL. I can't even keep those two leagues apart. I suck. Um, that team was created basically by the people that run the women's academy, the girls' academy, the ECNL, and the academy program. They created that team to have their college-age players have a place to play in the summers. It's kind of like PDL or USL2. It's like that. Um, they, they were allowed to brand it FCD Women because it's an extension of that program. But SCDL supports it very little. I mean, I think at one point they didn't even give them kits. You know, the last year I think they gave them kits, but that was that was about it, really. Um, they did not support that club very well. And and that really is why it doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's just basically there are other teams that are running independently that can fill the same role, and Dallas isn't going to spend that money, essentially. I mean, I'm speaking for them in this case. Their behavior, again, points to the fact that it doesn't look like they want to spend money on a girls game which is a shame. I think there's a responsibility there as the head pro team in town. I think you should run a women's team at the highest level. But I get it. It's a lot of money. It's expensive. I mean, FC Dallas doesn't make a profit. Why should we think they should do that with a women's game? I guess. All right. Melanie Isbell says, uh, are you related to Jason Isbell, by the way? Love Jason Isbell. Uh, all right. Who is your favorite all-time FC Dallas player and why? Uh, Jason Grice is my favorite all-time player. Um, watching him play stylistically, he's very similar to my all-time favorite player, period, and that's Joe Max Moore. Guys that are kind of similar, slightly undersized, off-striker, creative, dangerous, works hard, plays the game hard, intense, focused, driven. Guys that are an amazing combo of American skill and style, very American players, which, you know, that's what I am, so... Jason Christ, FC Dallas, Joe Max Moore, period. Those are my favorite two guys to watch play. All right, Stephen A. Jones says, can we get an overview of assets available for free agency? Uh, no. <laughs> he, asks, he says the club has a lot more money than ever. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of true, but uh, I'm sorry, Stephen, you can't – I don't have a list um, because – the problem is, is that FC Dallas uses tiny little bits of TAM and GAM all over the place. 
Um, in the past, they've had seven or eight guys that are over the DP level that they buy down. Um, so that's a little bit here, a little bit there. And then they use the same thing on homegrowns. They buy down homegrowns to put them on the supplemental roster. A little bit here, a little bit there. They spend a little bit on a transfer. They spend a little bit on a salary. It's just legitimately impossible to track, you know, how much they've spent. Even if you could contract, you could track how much they ha- have gotten, knowing how much they spent is virtually impossible unless you could get inside numbers. I just don't think it's possible, my man. I'm sorry. Probably not the answer you wanted. All right. Danny Turner says, do you know much about Martinez and feel he will fit into MLS pretty quickly? Is he an upgrade from Ziegler? Well, he's not going to be an upgrade in pure soccer terms because Ziegler is a wonderful player, skillful, played in two World Cups, but he's 34, going on 35. That's the problem. It's not, it's not that he wasn't a good soccer player. It's just that he's old. So Martinez... Coming out of the Barcelona system is 27 in the prime of his career. So in terms of pure soccerness, it should be about the same. But at 27, he should be more athletic and quicker. Even if he's just a medium speed player, he'll be quicker than Ziegler because Ziegler was really slow at this point. So that's that's my hope. Uh, I can tell you that from the tapes we've watched and coming from the system he comes from, he will have a good qualities for Lucci ball. You remember Barcelona plays the same system that Lucci wants to play, give or take Tiki Taki press Pep Guardiola, right? All the same stuff. So good feet, good passer lefty, good for Lucci ball. We think, you know, so should be a good fit on paper. Good fit. We'll see my man. We'll see. I'm curious myself. I like the signing. We'll see. All right, Johnny Football asks, Andres Zanata worked with big teams in Brazil, and I assume is well compensated by FCD, but so far the only signing we've seen in Brazil has been Felipe. You think his Brazilian connections will come into play? Uh, well, Johnny, that's not 100% correct. Um, Zanata was on the other side of the table for the Brasson deal. He was at Grêmio at the time, and he's the one, that's where FCD learned of him and decided they liked him. And then after the Brasson deal, they tried to hire him. So... Uh, Tiago Santos, for example, is a Zanata deal. His brother, uh, Zanata's brother, worked at Palmeiras. So that's how they knew that Zanata was, uh, uh, that uh, Tiago Santos was available. And Zanata facilitated that deal. Felipe, obviously, you mentioned that. Franco Hara, that's a Dan Hunt deal. Uh, Andres Ricarte, even though he was scouted by one of their scouts, I believe, out of Colombia, that's a Zanata deal. You know, they were working on it for this winter and they decided to move it ahead and bring it in the middle of the year. Uh, Ricarte. So I, I, I give that one to Zanata too. But I'm sure we're going to see this pay off more. You know, don't forget to, Zanata worked for Traffic, which is the Miami-based um, agent, player, owner, scouter, facilitator, talent group. So he knows lots of people. Uh, I think you're going to see more things come through that'll fit his um, wheelhouse. You'll recognize as his deals other than those ones that I just mentioned that are already his. Tiago Santos, Felipe, Ricarte. I think those are all for him. Both these two new deals are his. Martinez and um, Jadar. Hadar. (laughs) O'Brien. Okay, Joseph, no last name, says, does Roberts go to uh, Hibernian? What about Sevilla, Cervania, or Cirillo to USLC loan? Um, Well, Roberts is going to go somewhere, I think. I'm very convinced of that. He wants... He's looking for an opportunity to play, and I don't blame him. Um, he's the one pushing those loan deals. So it may not be Hibernian. 
It may not be Hibbs. It'll be somebody. Cervani and Cirillo are both excellent candidates for loans too. Um, but I'm not convinced that FC Dallas believes in the USLC loan anymore. The problem is uh, when you go on a USLC loan, you lose control of the coaching system. Is the player going to play? You know, what kind of coaching is he going to get? And that kind of thing. And, and Brandon Cervani for sure doesn't make sense as a USLC player. A foreign team would be better for him. Cervania, I mean, Cirillo, yeah, sure. I mean, he needs to play North Texas USLC somewhere, anywhere. Just play the kid somewhere. Um, but the USLC loan is not ideal. Sometimes it's better to be here in Dallas and play, train with Dallas and play with North Texas. Now, I admit, I don't think Evan Cirillo or Brandon Cervania are going to do that. Um, but like a foreign team, like a U23 foreign team, that might make more sense. That I would keep an eye out for that possibly more than a USLC team. I mean, of course, they could just keep both guys here, but I think those two guys are actually excellent candidates that you've brought up um, for loans. Dante Sealy, I'd throw in that same lump. I mean, even Ricardo Pepe. Dante Sealy and Ricardo Pepe, it wouldn't shock me to see loaned. I mean, I don't know anything, but um, either one of those guys moving out wouldn't shock me either. You know, that's one of the things we're discovering is that playing time matters. I mean, we know this, right? We've known this for years. FC Dallas is learning too. Having those guys sit here and not play, it doesn't do anything, doesn't do any good. All right, Marcus Wright. Listen, I assume it's Marcus Wright. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius Wrightus, which I, it must be Marcus Wright. Says, uh, if you can explain the visa players need to get into Europe, UK, how do how do dual nationals differ from US nationals, FIFA age restrictions, how US call-ups help with gaining visas, etc.? In my opinion, it's something that's not talked about enough. Okay, well, uh, honestly, you could spend years studying this topic and certainly we could spend hours explaining it. Uh, I'll try and condense it down some. The bottom line with the UK is it's crazy. They have a point system uh, that at its core is based on how much you play for your country uh, and your senior national team, how much you start, you know, use national teams, what country your current team is in. They have a tiering system. For, unfortunately for MLS, tiering the tiering system for the, them is very low um, because, you know, the Brits think we suck. So, um, and then age is a factor in this. It changes some things depending on how old you are. It changes how much you need this or that. Um, Dan is actually working on a story with Brian Reynolds as an example to show how it would be tough for Brian to get a UK work permit. We're going to use him as an example to walk through some of this stuff. Uh, suffice it to say that their system is just so bizarre. Um, but beyond that, you know, you can't sign a deal until you're 18. Now, you can go as an academy player before that, but the whole family has to move for another reason. Like your parents have to get jobs there, and then you all can go there. And then it's like, oh, come play for the academy. You can't, you can't go for the academy. Does that make sense? I know that sounds like a technicality, but it is. The dual nationals thing is not – that just means you can play for two countries. Uh, what's important is two passports. Um, you know, like for example, Brandon Cervini can play for Puerto Rico and the United States. You know, these guys can play for Mexico and the United States. You know, the two passports is the main thing. If you have a, U, a uh, EU passport, then you can bypass the non-EU player numbers. Every league has a limit on the non-EU players. Before Bosman, it was usually five. Like it used to be that you in the UK, you could only have five non-British players on your team. Uh, in MLS, we have a leftover rule from this. We have, it's the eight-player foreign limit. It used to be five. Don Garber raised it 
to try and raise the level of the play in the league, and they've left it the same. This is why I talk about you can't go backwards. They've left it at eight since then. Uh, the idea is that you want more of your home country's players playing in your league. That was the original idea. So if you have an EU passport, and Justin Che is a good example of this, Justin Che has a German passport. So he can play for any team in the European Union as a European Union resident. That gives him massive, massive freedom. Thomas Roberts does not have a UK or EU passport. Brian Reynolds does not have an EU passport. If those guys want to go to teams, they have to use their non-EU exemptions, which are limited. That's one of the troubles with why Brian was going to maybe have to do a Cagliari loan or not, or what's he going to do. That is all up in the air with this hypothetical UVA move because he doesn't have an EU passport. He has to, has to use a non-EU exemption. Makes it harder. So it's super complicated. Dante Seeley apparently has access to a TNT passport, I believe. That gives him some different flexibilities than a German one would. Because I, I, I've had people tell me that a TNT passport gives you some entrances into certain countries. I've never been able to verify that for sure. Um, but certainly Dante Seeley gets looked at more than a lot of other guys for European stuff. He goes over there all the time on these training stints. Anyway, on to the next question. Uh, Jay Borner says, does the O'Brien transfer mean that FCD is sticking to a 4-3-3? Uh, no, not specifically. Um, he has some skill sets that uh, can be translated to other positions. You know, if you wanted to play two strikers, you could play, you know, wide mid, maybe even wing back, you know. Now, it's important to understand, I think, with him that he's his estimated transfer value was around 500K. So he's more of this traditional fringish FCD buy where you're not guaranteed success. <laughs> I mean, are you ever, but I wouldn't be betting my house on uh Jadir O'Brien, Darth, Darth, Darth Hadir. Um, uh, spinning off that though. Uh, I do think that SC Dallas is going to stick with a four, three, three. I've talked before this winter about Paxton playing left wing, Pepillaire a little bit, maybe Jesus. Hader, I think, is going to compete with Mikey Barrios at right wing, mostly. Not they see they won't love that, but um, Lucci does love to move guys around. You know, plenty of bodies now for a 4-3-3 there. Now, of course, uh, as I say this again, if FC Dallas buys a high nine, Ask me this question again, because if they buy a high nine, then I think that might be indicative that they're going two strikers. But right now, I, I'm sticking. I'm sticking four three three until I see them do something radical. Um, just don't don't over expectations on Hadir O'Brien. I think you should temper that a little bit based on age and where he was playing and how much he cost. All right, Lance Little said, do players have an incentive to go to the FC Dallas Academy if teams start building with veterans or non-FCD players and promote one or two players every few years? Well, I, I kind of answered this earlier. I should have lumped it in. It's my fault. Um, yes, because FC Dallas sells you to Juve for 8 million euros, <laughs> right? Or they sell you to Boa Vista or Bayern Munich. And that's the key. It's that FC Dallas has proven that they're willing to transition a player from the Academy to MLS to Europe. It's a pathway. That's what that's why Lucci talks about all the time. Developmental club. Now, are they are they working in a little more veterans in their in their system? Yeah, they are. That's true. 
Do they need to find more PT for these tweener guys that aren't like your Cirillos and your Roberts? Yeah, absolutely they do, but those are just details. You know, that's that's some semantics of the system that they're still trying to iron out. The big picture, FC Dallas is a facilitator and a grower of players, develops you through the academy, gets you to the first team, plays you in the first team, and then sells you. That pathway is very, very enticing to the very top level of talent, the proven pathway to the pros. All right, Enrique asks, is it realistic for us to expect homegrown players like Paxton, Jesus, Brandon to be sold within five years? Do you anticipate them staying until we win a major trophy? Uh, realistic, yes, very realistic. Um, I think Brandon Cervanio and Evan Cirillo may be MLS-level players, but in, within five years, I would expect Paxton, Jesus, Seeley, Roberts, Tessman, and Pepe to all be gone. Even Cervanio and Cirillo could be gone too. But those first... Well, that was that six guys I mentioned. I think they'll all be gone. Uh, Paxton will stay longer than some of the others because I think, as he has stated publicly, he wants to compete at the MLS MVP level first. But the rest of those guys, Jesus, Seeley, Roberts, Tessman, and Pepe, a couple of years and they're gone. Everyone will be different. They'll all vary two, three, four, five years. Yeah, out. Paxton will be around the longest, maybe Cervini and Cirillo. All right. Um, Sam Neighbors says, on the current roster, who is your prediction for having a breakout season? And who is your prediction for having a disappointing season? Well, Sam, does Paxton count? <laughs> can Paxton be my breakout player? Uh, I'm expecting a rebound from him if he can stay healthy. All right. Serious answer, though. It's whoever wins the right back spot, which I believe is going to be Emma Tuomasi. I think he's got a really good chance of sticking that landing. Lucci clearly likes him. Having when he brought him back, you saw him play unexpectedly, both in the middle of midfield and at wing. I I really do think they're going to try him at right back, and I think he's going to land it and he's going to hold that position, and that's going to be your breakout player. I don't think um, Eddie Mujama is ready, so I think Emma's the guy. That's my breakout player right now. Ask me again at the end of spring training. I I reserve the right to change my opinion and give you my real breakout at the end of spring training. Uh, disappointing season. Uh, well, this sucks, but um, I'm going with Frank O'Hara and Brian Acosta <laughs> because I don't think O'Hara is going to suddenly be great, right? He's not going to suddenly be the answer. And at his salary level, anything short of 15 goals is going to be disappointing. And I don't think he's going to score 15 goals. I don't think at 32, he's going to magically all of a sudden be the answer. I really don't. I hate that. Because he's going to be here for two more years, probably, which sucks. Uh, and Acosta, it's not, it's everything is relative here in the words disappointment season because Acosta is what he is. He's now 27. That means his development is at the at the plateau part of his career, prime of his career, yes, but no longer progressing. That means he's not going to improve. He might become more in form. That's possible. He might become more healthy but he's not going to get better fundamentally. So he's going to play like he has played, you know, and probably is going to be banged up like he's been banged up. So to me, that's going to be a disappointing season. Plus he's going to be gone for some Honduras qualifiers, trying to get them into the world cup, you know? So that's who I expect to be disappointing. Hara and Acosta, which, you know, that's no fun. All right. Caleb Friedrich. Any chance that Justin Che competes 
for the FC Dallas right back spot next season. I thought he did well there in a few games with North Texas Soccer Club, but he obviously projects as a center back. Yeah, that's that's right, Caleb. Uh, there's a chance, sure, but you, you nailed it. Uh, he projects as a center back. The club sees him as a center back. So using him at right back is a long shot. Him playing right back is just like Brisson playing right back, except a lot less likely. They're a lot more likely to play Brisson over there than they are Justin Che. Now, I do think Justin Che will play earlier than we think. I think the kid's on a great trajectory. And I think you could, you're going to see him this year, I think. I don't know how much, but I think you're going to see him some. Now, if FC Dallas goes three center backs and you're going Hedges and Martinez or Hedges and Brisson and Che's your right center back, that's possible. That's where you might see him maybe a little bit because then he's – then the gaps are narrowed. He's got hedges with him. He's got an outside wing back checking in. You know, that's maybe where you see him. You'll see Che. Maybe as a pure center back. Maybe as a three man center back. But uh, starting as a right back, I don't, I don't, I don't see that uh, in the cards. You know, when you could just use Brisson there or Hollingshead there. You know, Lucci has a tendency to not trust youth in defense. He trusts youth in offense and trust youths up front and in the midfield. But on defense, so far, he has not really done that very much. Not, you know, look how hard it was for uh, Reynolds to get playing time. Even as good as Reynolds is, right, which is crazy good, they still eased him in when Reggie left. They still played Brisson when Reggie left. They still they had those five games they could have given Reynolds last year. They gave him to Brisson. So I, I just I don't see Che this year being – certainly at right back and maybe just a little bit at right center back. If they go three, that's where I think you might see him get bloodied in. Uh, Che will basically play the whole year with North Texas. That's basically, he'll start every game for them or he should. That's what I think the plan is. All right. Last question of the podcast, which has actually been longer than I thought. These have been some amazing questions. You guys have been awesome. Thank you for the great questions. AJ Swanson, assuming the 9.25 million sale for Brian Reynolds one, uh, I wouldn't lock that number in, by the way. What one player do you immediately turn around and buy with that cash to make FC Dallas better? Well, this flips back again uh, to the earlier answers. A nine, a high nine. For me, that guy is Rogelio Funes Mori, who's now 29. That'd be the guy. Former FC Dallas player from Arlington. Great coming home story. He's also Argentine. I think he would be awesome. Awesome, awesome player for Dallas. But I don't think the Hunts will do that. I think he's too expensive. I think he's five, six, seven million to get him. And I don't think the Hunts are going to do that. You know, so less specifically, a high nine. I don't think Har is the answer. I want to see a high nine replace Har in the system or maybe go a two striker system. You know, that's what I want to, that's what I would do with the money. That's what I hope they do with the money. I don't think. I don't think they're going to use all the, I think they'll use half of it. I think they'll go for a four to $5 million player, a DP. I hope it's a nine could be a wing. I think it's an offensive player. I definitely think it's an offensive player. We'll see. Cross your fingers. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Let me remind you that third degree of the podcast has been brought to you by soccer 90, 40% off site wide for all third degree podcast listeners with promo code, third degree 
on Soccer90.com. That's 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E, just like the name of our website. Go get yourself some swag while the code's still good. Make us look good. Buy some stuff. Thanks, Pappy Check, again for the music. Thanks, Dan and Peter, who are not here today, but are usually the my cohorts here on this podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Third Degree, the podcast number 92. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the Q&A. Thanks to the Patreons. Join us at patreon.com slash third degree. I think you'll like the content you get there. Hopefully you're doing it just because you like what we do, period. Thank you again, everybody, for the amazing, amazing questions. I hope that your 2020 was not as bad as it could have been. It was a horrible year for everybody. I know that includes me. There are people worse off than me. Certainly there are people worse off than all of us. Certainly people that have lost loved ones. This has been a very, very difficult year. I hope, I hope, I hope that y'all's 2021 is better than your 2020. Here's to a good year ahead. Here's to a good season ahead. Here's to the 24th season of third degrees coverage of FC Dallas. I really do hope you enjoy it. We will talk again soon. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast.